0: sermon lesson this morning is going to be taken from 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles to that. Keep your finger uh, on that page because we're going to refer to it throughout our lesson this morning. I want you to think about this. We're talking uh, about a lesson from 1 Peter. So couple that with what we just read from the gospel. Jesus Christ speaks to Peter about his church and here we have a lesson written by This disciple, written by Peter, talking about the church. Again, I want you to listen and hear how he contextualizes church, why he says church is what it is. Our lesson this morning for our sermon is from 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's begin reading at verse 4. We're going to read up until verse 17. As you come to him, The living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such godly lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Love the family of believers. Fear God, honor the emperor. This is the word of our God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Sarah is a friend of mine, and Sarah's 34 years old. She is the mother to two adorable kids, and happily married to her husband, Claude, and Sarah is a Christian. Sarah has been going to church throughout her entire life. From the time she was born, Sarah has been going to churches. She was born and she was baptized in a Christian church, a traditional church out in the country that her parents and her family had been going to for three generations. Then her father moved, and so they went to a new church in a new city. They went to that church until Sarah was in kindergarten. And then her parents wanted a church that also had a school and offered programs for youth. So they went to a new church, and they loved that church until Sarah was in fourth grade. Then some of the youth programs got cut, and so they went to look for a new church that had uh, also those programs and a church. And Sarah called that church her home until she was 16. And Sarah figured she didn't really enjoy the music that church played anymore, so she found a new church on the other side of town, and she went to that church until she went to college. And then she didn't really join any one church, but she went to multiple different churches that, well, where her friends went. And let's be honest, it was really whichever church had the best college get together with the best food. That's where she called her church home. But don't get it mixed up. It wasn't just a case of Goldilocks and the three bears. This one is this and that one's to this, but this one's just right. You know, some of the reasons that Sarah changed churches were very Christ centered, very Bible based reasons. It wasn't all preference. Well, there was a time when Sarah's family uh, was younger, and Sarah was younger, where a pastor refused to baptize Sarah's younger brother, said that the child needed to be a certain age a stipulation that's just not in the Bible. And so her parents left that church. There was another time shortly after Sarah graduated from college where Sarah went to church and loved the pastor and the way he preached, but the sermons were more about his ideas for self-help than Christ's ideas about your salvation. So she decided to find another church. There's also the time that well, Sarah had her own family. Claude took a job in a different city. They did a lot of church shopping. They visited some different ones, and they, they found one they really liked that, that preached the word of God, that, that worshiped in a way that was comfortable for them. And, well, the people were great at first. Because then you see, Sarah thought she might try to make friends with the people at the church, but it seemed like every attempt she made, well, people just did their own thing. The friendly people seemed as though their friend quota had already been filled with the people that had been at the church and there are cliques that Sarah just couldn't crack. There's the email that Claude sent to pastor and some of the leaders at the church after several months of attending there and saying, hey, love the church, love being a part of it. Is the way that I could serve in this church? And the answer that Claude got in so few words was, Claude, thank you for your care and your concern, but you haven't attended long enough. And so Sarah quit. Sarah, who was a Christian, who had been going to churches throughout her entire life, never missing a weekend except for when she traveled and then she'd find a different church, this Sarah stopped going to church. And you'd have to ask her why. She'd tell you. She'd tell you that it seemed to her from her perspective that the state of churches well it seemed from her perspective to be ugly messy and maybe even broken and you know what from her perspective you have to say she's right can you relate kind of the funny thing about starting a brand new church is there's about 3 people here today Who can call this the only church they've ever been to and they can't speak in full sentences. For everyone else here, this isn't the first church you've gone to. Have you seen what Sarah has seen? Have you seen churches that, you know, maybe they just don't offer the programs that you want to have for your family? Maybe it's a church that worships in a style that isn't your preference. But maybe there's some very real concerns that you've seen in churches. They're a church that claims to be Christian, Christ centered, and yet Christ doesn't seem to be at the center of a lot that goes on. Maybe it's a church that sees itself as the frozen chosen. And it's just rather a cold group of people that won't change anything, even if it means taking the changeless gospel to a society that changes a lot. Have you ever seen that? If you can relate to that, I wouldn't blame you one bit for thinking that churches are messy, ugly, and maybe even broken. Because from our perspective, that's often what churches look like. Perhaps a good example of that is is something called the impossible triangle the impossible triangle is located in a lot of different art exhibits all over but one of the coolest places it's located is perth australia and if you were to go there and you were to approach this triangle from the north or from the east it would neither look like a piece of art or a triangle And similarly, if you approached it from the west, it wouldn't look like anything except a twisted scrap of metal, maybe a goalpost that went through a tornado. Certainly not a piece of art. But if you approached from the south, you would see something that was spectacular. Something that was truly amazing. Something that was impossibly beautiful. And that's a lot like church, a lot like churches. Oftentimes people define church in this way, and it's a really helpful way to define it. If you have your worship guide opened, I want to encourage you to write this down. The first one is that people talk about the church, the, the lower C church, the visible church. And we define this church as people gathered together to hear the gospel, this Church is a lower sea church. You maybe drove past a couple lower sea churches to get here. But we also talk about the big sea church, the holy Christian church, the invisible church. And this church is not always things you can see. This church is all believers everywhere that believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This is a helpful distinction to make as we try to understand churches, but it's not entirely accurate because there's not two churches, there's one. There's just one church. God made just one church, and really what we're doing is looking at it from two different perspectives. We're looking at it from, well, ours or God's. Let me show you. Sometimes we look at churches, and what we see on the outside are good-looking buildings, for the most part. What we see on the inside is a pastor who's nice, most of the time. We see people who are friendly, for the most part. But as you approach this church from the north, or from the east or the west, you might notice that it's a little messy. It's maybe even ugly. Because there's people inside that are sinful. And sometimes these sinful people are real, genuine Christians. And they love their God, but they might say things that hurt. They might do things that, well, don't leave the best impression. There might be hypocrites in the church too. People who aren't actually Christians, they just are in a Christian church. And so it might not look like something that resembles the holy Christian church. It might look ugly, broken, or messy. But that's our perspective. God's perspective is different. When God looks at churches, what he sees is the church. The big C church, the invisible church. What he sees are the saints of God. He sees all people everywhere who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. So here's the question for us. Where do you find a church that has the church? Where do you find a church, small c, that is as close as humanly possible to the big C church that looks, acts, and resembles what Christ wants his church to look and act like? I think it's fair to say whether you call this church home or not, we're all looking for that church. And the search for that church can kind of be exhausting. If this isn't your church home and you're you're looking to see if it could be your home, and you're shopping other churches, well, that can be tiring. It can be exhausting uh, emotionally going into a place where you maybe don't know everybody, where maybe churches, the buildings, and everything are unfamiliar. It can be spiritually exhausting not having people in your life who, who you are accountable for and to in a good way, who care about you, who love you, who are checking on you. But even if this is your church home, you want to know, is this the church as much as humanly possible? Is this church that I give my time, my talents, and my treasures to, is it, well, truly a Christian church? So I want to look at that today. I want to answer this question today. And here's what I want to put forward to you. Maybe the reason that we're all so tired and maybe even exhausted with our search for the church is we've been looking at churches from our perspective. What I want to do today is look at the church from God's perspective. And the way you might want to think about it is like this. The church, the big C church, is made up of three pillars. Or it's a church that sits on a stool, a three-legged stool. And we're going to take a look at the three legs that make up the Christian church. And we're going to move through the first two rather quickly. And we're going to do it not because these first two are unimportant. No, in fact, I do even argue they're the most important aspects to the church. But as we've moved through our sermon series these two legs have gotten sermons of their own and hundreds and thousands more sermons could be on these first two legs. So here's what I want you to do. Either ask me questions about it after church or go listen to our podcast and check out those sermons about those two legs. But I want to spend time talking about the third leg because it's that leg that maybe is often forgot about that makes up the Holy Christian Church. So first things first. Here is the first leg that we're talking about. And we're answering the question, uh, where can you find a church that has the church inside? If you still have your finger in our gospel lesson for today um, from Matthew 16, I want to encourage you to check that out because I'm going to point you to two verses in that section. But back in Jesus' ministry, he was traveling about with his disciples. He was walking, talking with them, and he gave them a little examination to see what they've learned. He said, who do people say that I am? Well, his disciples gave some very popular, very culturally relevant answers. They said, some people think you are John the Baptist. Maybe one of the prophets, Elijah, Jeremiah, quite the list of people to be counted in. But that wasn't enough for the one, the one who was the Messiah. And so Jesus put the screws to his disciples. He said, ah, that's good. But how about you? Who do you say that I am? And of course, the apostle Peter spoke right up. He said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Oh, and Jesus replied and said, nailed it. That's perfect. This answer, yes, you got it because you've been with me. Yes, you've got it because you've watched me do miracles and heal people and feed thousands of people. But this answer, Peter, it wasn't from your head. It was revealed to you by the Spirit of God. And then in his reply, Jesus said something that was even more profound than what Peter said. He said, Peter, you got it. Peter, you are the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church he used for the first time in the gospels that word ecclesia the word that we translate as church for the very first time and what does he say about this church he says it's one church not churches and he said i am going to build this church he said not you peter disciples christians today you're not going to build this church i'm going to build my church And he said, I am going to build this church on the rock. And what is the rock? Well, the rock is Jesus Christ himself. More specifically, it is the revelation, the full revelation that Peter confessed. It's who he is. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. Now I could get the Greek out and geek out on you and show you that Jesus was not talking about Peter as the rock. When he talked about Petros, he was using the masculine Noun for that. And when he was talking about the foundation upon which he will build this church, that rock, he used the feminine Petra, referring to the word used for immovable stones. And when he talked about this, he wasn't talking about the man Peter, but he was talking about the revelation and the confession that came in the verse prior. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to explain all that right now. Instead, here's what I want to do I want to point to you what Peter understood that to mean, what Peter, the rock, understood the rock of the church to be. Think about our lesson that we read at the beginning of our sermon this morning. What did Peter say? He said, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. What did Peter the rock understand the rock of the church to be? Well, he wasn't confused. He didn't think it was himself. He knew it was Christ. He knew it was the living stone. He quoted the Old Testament prophet Isaiah who talked about Jesus being the cornerstone, being the foundation of the church, of his people. Do you want to know where you find a church that has the church? Here's our first fill in the blank for the day. It is wherever Christ Is foundational. It's wherever Jesus Christ and His gospel is the foundation upon which that church is built. It's wherever that gospel is proclaimed, wherever Christ is pointed to as not just the one who gives life to the people inside, but He gives life to the church at large. It is His death that means we are dead to sin. And it is his resurrection that raises not only us, but the church itself. Christ is not only the central teaching of the church, but he is the builder of the church. Without Christ, you might have a really fun club. You might have a really nice community. You might sadly have a cult. But without him, you do not have a Christian church. That is the first and the foundational leg on which the church is built the foundation of Jesus Christ. And how does he build that church? Well, here's the second one. Where do you find a church that has the church inside? It's wherever the word and the sacraments are central. This is what we have talked about in our worship services this last week and the week prior. We talked about how this church gets built up. We could talk a lot about it. We could give sermons on just these alone. But for now suffice it to say this. How is faith created? Well we looked at Romans ten seventeen, which says faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. Wherever there is the word, wherever there is the word of God connected to the promise and the sacred acts that He instituted called the sacraments, there is faith. Wherever there's faith, that means there are hearts of believers giving joy-filled praise to the foundation and the one who made the church, that is, Christ. Without the word, without the sacraments, there's no faith. Without faith, you might have people, but you don't have faith and you don't have praise to the one who made the church. This is where you find the church. You want to find a church that has the church inside, this is where it is. It's wherever Christ is foundational. It's wherever the word of Christ and the sacraments are central. But this leads to a little different question. So, then, if that's what the church is, do I need to find a church that has the church? Some of you might be saying, hey, Christ is the foundation of my life. I base my identity. I base who I am. I base everything I do on Him. You might be saying, the sacraments, the words, those are central to my life. Daily, weekly, I'm spending time in God's Word. I constantly am remembering God's blessings of baptism for me, through me. That's mine. Can't I be like Sarah? Better off without the ugly mess of church. I'd say to you, you have a good point. You have a great point because the reality is that the Bible never talks about membership in a church being that which saves you. The Bible never says that you need to have your card stamped as you are a member of this church. The Bible never talks about you must be a part of a 501c3 church religious organization that makes you a member of the church In fact, he says the opposite. He says quite emphatically that there are going to be people in the church that aren't Christians. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But, but if you are a Christian, if you are someone who follows Christ on his heels, And if you are someone who thinks, who wants to be a part of the big C church, then it is only natural that you will follow Christ into a local small C church. In fact, you must. Don't believe me? Let's take a look at the word of God, see what he has to say about that. This is the third leg we're talking about today. It's from the le- I want to look at the lesson that we read earlier from Hebrews. See what it says. Hebrews says this, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up, meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. God's word has just shy of 60 different commands that he has given to his people, to Christians. Sixty different commands, at least, where he says you are to one another, one another. You are to fill in the blank, one another. You are to love one another. You are to forgive one another. You are to serve one another. You are to greet one another. You are to be kind to one another. You are to be compassionate to one another. And here, in Hebrews, we have three very important one another's in just two short verses. He says, you are to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. You are to meet with one another and not give up doing that. You are to encourage one another. You cannot one another one another without one another. Another. Christ Jesus, who invented this church, created in such a way where you need one another in the church. Jesus put it this way. Listen, still not convinced, still thinking, hey, are you telling me I'm sinning if I'm not a part of a church, if I'm not inside of a local small c church? No. No. Scripture never says that's a sin, but it doesn't have to because it always frames that question positively. It always puts it in its proper context by saying here's why you should, need, must be a part of a church because the one who saved us and made us his has made us one. Listen again to 1 Peter where he says as you come to to Jesus, the living stone. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not mercy, but now you have received mercy. It seems almost obvious to state, but it is important. Do you want to know where you find the church inside of a church? Well, it is wherever believers are communal. It is wherever believers are not individual, but communal. They are a community community of saints church is not personal church is communal so can I make it really personal as we clone us out this morning listen every single Sunday we stand and we confess our faith together and we say I believe in the holy Christian church the communion of saints can I point out a few implications of believing in that well here here's one you think about this. In our society it is desired and even a status symbol to have personalized things, right? If you have a personal jur- journal or diary or personal bank account, that is that is almost an unalienable right that you have those things personal to yourself. If you have a personal parking spot or you have personalized clothing, well that's a perk. That's really nice. But if you have a personal trainer, or a personal coach, or a personal assistant, well, then you've made it, right? And I think Christians like to take that language, those ideas, and put it into their faith, put it into the way they even think about church. And we say things like this, I want to have a personal relationship with Jesus. I want to grow in my personal relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something? That phrase, a personal relationship with Jesus, that idea, a personal savior is not in the Bible. In fact, that idea of a personal relationship with Jesus runs contrary to the entire narrative of scripture. Whenever the Bible talks about church, being a Christian, being a part of this, it always talks about not a personal relationship with Jesus, but a church relationship with Jesus. Over and over again, it uses metaphors like this to describe the church. A single building, a temple, a single beautiful city, a single body, a single people, a priesthood, a single nation, a single flock, a beautiful bride, just one, one big happy household, the whole family on church. This is how God talks about church. And can I show you this? Every single Sunday, I get to see this. I get to see this happening, this community of saints. I get to see it when we stand together and confess our sins and hear forgiveness. I get to see it when we stand and pray with one another. I get to see it when we confess our faith and and when we sing hymns together but I'm not sure if you always get to see it. Because you come in and you greet a few people, and then you stare at one dude for about an hour, and then you walk out and you maybe say hi to a few people you know. Can I show you what it looks like? It looks like this. This is what the church looks like. It looks like all of you. It looks like the entirety of us. Now, I wonder what would happen if we started to look at church like this. If we started to look at all of the people here as not just the randos that happen to go to the same church that we do, but if we started to look at these people as not just maybe the frozen chosen that go to my church, but these are the holy chosen. These are the very people at this time and at this place that God is building his church with. And it is this God and in this place and with these people and these living stones that the living stone is building all of us into something greater than the way church. Something greater than just me. He's building all of us into the holy Christian church. And it's just no matter-of-fact thing that it's these people that happen to go to my church. But I am built into the church of God next to them. Standing on this person's shoulders. Forever smushed together in the living house of God with these people. See, when God gave us prayer, he didn't say, and teach us how to pray, he didn't say, pray to my Father who art in heaven. He said, pray to our Father who art in heaven. When he baptized us, he baptized us into one body. When he gave us his word... He didn't make it just for you. This was his word for all believers for all times. When he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, he did it through his one body that he gave up for all of us. And that's why it breaks my heart, but that doesn't matter. It breaks God's heart. When people talk about and think about church by saying things like this, I just didn't get a lot out of it. Nah. I used to go to that church, but now I don't really get a lot out of what they do. Or even the more noble-sounding, nah, they don't really have what my family needs. You see, it breaks my heart because church isn't an individual thing. Church is a communal thing. And to help us remember that, here at The Way, we we borrowed a rule that, keeps that ever before us. Can I can I show it to you? It's called the twenty five fifty twenty five 25 rule. Maybe you've heard this before. But the way it works is like this. As we think about church and we think about our membership in church, well, we think about it in this way. Everything that happens here isn't for everybody. In fact, we say 25% of what goes on here is something that you will love. It is for you. It hits you right in between the eyes and you go, this is for me. And maybe it's uh, our 10 o'clock service. Maybe you love that time. Maybe it's the programs that we have, the small groups. You love that. But as much as you love that, there's maybe 50% of what goes on here that, well, you could take it or leave it. Yeah, I like sitting in comfortable seats, but I could leave it. I could go for a real church, real church building. You go, hey, you know, it's whatever. If you wear a plaid shirt or if you wear a white robe, don't really care. There's those kind of things. But then there's things like this. There's the 25% that you maybe dislike. Maybe you even hate. You say, I really dislike that song that we sing. Or maybe you say, I do not like that this church emphasizes Christian education as much as Christian worship, and therefore we sometimes rest worship. Maybe you say, you know what, I really don't like kids, and uh, I really don't like that uh, we do a lot of outreach to families with kids. So here's the question. When you find yourself in this 25%, what do you do? Do you not come to church on the Sundays where we're singing those songs? Decide maybe, you know what, I'm just not going to go to church, or I'm gonna skip out because they don't offer the thing all of the things that I like. Well, you could do that. You could not go to church, find a different church, but I have to ask you what is your attitude towards God's church? How are you viewing church? Because you might be making up a definition of church. That's not God's. Think about this. When you don't come to church for whatever reason, that decision that you make, it's not just affecting yourself. When you decide I'm I'm not coming to church today for whatever reason, that decision is not just affecting you as an individual. It's affecting the body of Christ that you are a part of. It's affecting more Than just yourself. It's affecting the people that you have been called to one another to. You can't love one another when you're not here, and and you can't encourage one another, then you're not here. So, when a 25% thing happens that you just don't like, you could not go, or you could come anyways. You could show up anyways. And in that moment, you could serve another, you could forgive one another. You could lift up one another, and in that way, well, you could build the community you want by being the community someone else needs. The question isn't, what does this church do to serve me? It's, how can I serve the people of this church? That's the question that we need to ask ourselves. And when you start looking at church that way, well, then you start seeing church from God's perspective. Where is a, the church that is found in a church? Well, it's wherever Christ is foundational. It's wherever his word and sacraments are central, and it's wherever the believers are communal. But I have just one more question. Why this church? Why the way church? Well, let me answer that just for myself. You want to know why I'm a member of this church, the Way Church, and why I'm a member of the Wisconsin Lutheran Synod? It's not just because they called me to start this church. It's not just because this church happens to give me a paycheck every month. It's more than that. It's more than the fact that I like where we worship. It's more than the fact that I like our order of service and I, and I like the songs that we sing. It's more than the fact that I just like the people here, although that's true. It's more than the fact that I really like the, the attitude, the mission mindset that this church has and, and the way it thinks about missions and it thinks about church. It's more than that. You want to know why I'm a member of this church? It's because at this church, I find the fullest and the clearest expression of the gospel. That this church, I find the fullest and the clearest expression of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Now notice what I did not say. I did not say that this is the only church that has an expression of the gospel. This is the only church that preaches it and teaches it, and all the other churches in the world absolutely disregard it. No, I said here, I find the fullest and the clearest expression of the gospel. I find the fullest articulation and proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the founder of this church and the builder of this church, through his words and sacraments that give true forgiveness of sins, life and strengthening of faith. And not only that, but those two things, Christ Jesus working through his word and sacraments, also work in a profound way that only they can to create community, to create a community that has loved me, That has forgiven me, that has prayed for me, served me, lifted me, encouraged me, empowered me, all of these things. That's why I'm a member of this church. It's because it is the fullest and the clearest articulation of the gospel. And the day it stops being that church, I'm going to leave it and I'm going to encourage you to do the same. But for now, that's what this church is And that's why I hope this church dies. Let me be clear about that. I hope this church dies. There are a lot of ways that a church can die. A church can die by jumping off the foundation that is Christ Jesus and trying to build their own. It would die pretty fast. A church can die by having the... uh, frozen chosen mindset and, well, moving from having people in their 30s to people in their 50s to people in their 70s and 90s and, then well, no people. Church can die that way. But a church can also die in a good way. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you got to take up your cross and follow me. I think a church can do that too. If you want to be a church, my church, pick up your cross, (laughs) die to yourself, your ideas, your traditions, presuppositions and ideas about what a church is and live my church. To die to our ideas and ourselves and live in the one who gives us life. I think when we do that, I think as we do that, what you'll see is that this church won't die, but it'll live and it'll grow. It'll grow up with more people. It'll grow closer through the bonds of faith, but most importantly of all, it'll go stronger in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one whose church this is. Amen.